Hey, founders, welcome back to another episode of the Gab Lab. This is a show that is designed to bring you financial intelligence that won't only just blow your mind, but it will help you build your bottom line. I'm your show host, Tanya Woods Richardson, and today's episode is being championed by our very good friends at Community Futures Saskatchewan with over 13 offices across the province to help founders not only build their business, but to help them nail their numbers. So today's episode, I'm very excited to be welcoming back Neil the Number Pro, Ron Robichaud. He is the founder of Demystify Your Profits, and uh, he is also a strong advocate for profiting in business, that bottom line profit. Today's episode is all about golden ratios and industry benchmarks and what we need to be aware of with both of those topics as they pertain to helping us build strong, healthy bottom lines. For, so thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you in the lab. Oh, Ron, welcome back to the Gab Lab. It is my pleasure, always my pleasure to be in the Gab Lab. I'm so happy you're back for this episode. We're uh, our first episode. You actually joined us for our very first episode, which was Rural Resilience for Restaurateurs. And we're back today to talk about golden ratios and industry benchmarks. It's a topic that, believe it or not, a lot of founders are asking questions about. I'm glad that they're asking questions about it. Uh, but let's get right to it because we have a lot to cover today. So, um, as always, with every segment, we're going to break it down into three pieces here. Specifically, the first piece, we're going to take a look at the ratios. The second piece, and this is, um, you know, this is an area that uh, you've really opened my eyes to, and I know you've opened the eyes of many founders, but it's about percentages and turning our dollar values into percentages and how it, I call it the highways and hazards, like it, everything just becomes crystal clear. So that will be our second um, section that we'll talk about. And then our third piece is industry benchmarks and comparing ourselves to others. So that's a whole other conversation, but uh, let's start with ratios. Absolutely. So if we get into ratios and I, this is an area that, um, that, that I was, it, it, it brought me a lot of confusion for a long time. I, I understood the cash flow piece, but the ratio piece, I think it's so important for business owners to understand. One, because lenders are looking at it. It's the first thing they typically go to. But the other piece is that I liken ratios to, um, to our, our personal health. When we're looking to get fit, we, you know, we measure ourselves, we weigh ourselves, the BMI, the, you know, we do all of those numbers and, and we start to assess where we're at. And that's how I look at ratios. So how do you look at ratios and what do you feel are some of the most important ratios we should be looking at and then how to crunch those numbers? So that's loaded, but let's start with what are ratios to you and why are they important? Well, again, ratio is, is simply providing us sort of like our health card, as you said, you know, to the business. And, and typically what I've been doing is that I usually go back five years and I calculate specific ratios. We'll get to that in a second. So I can see where the trend has been going. Has, have they been improving or have they been getting worse? But then it allows us to look at, okay, if we've been declining, what can we do to improve those? So that's one thing. If we're improving, then great, we continue on that path. So there are hundreds of ratios that exist. And I always use the Pareto's law, which is the 80-20 rule. So 20% of the ratios will resolve 80% of your business problems. But I've got another ratio, which is called the Ron Rubbisho ratio, that if you resolve that one, you'll solve all your problems. You won't have to worry about any of the ratios. So, oh, you better fill us in. Okay, so 
So again, if we look at the, the categories of ratio, and you've got it, you've got some of them, you know, we, we spoke about this before. We got the liquidity ratios, which is basically cash flow. Then we have the leverage ratios, which is basically your 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 debt to capital and those type of things. So you know how much do you owe and how much do you own? And then you have your efficiency ratios, which would be your accounts receivable turnover, your inventory turnover, your payables turnover. So making sure that you're paying things on time and you're collecting on time, because if you have a 30 day, let's say credit policy, and then we do our accounts receivable turnover and it's 45 days, we got a problem. So, you know, so this is why we can use these efficiency ratios. And then you have your equity ratios, which is debt to equity and, and debt to capital. So those those are basically if you if we focus on just those it will resolve 80 percent of the business problems so let's not get too technical in them okay. but let's go back to um uh, did you have a question I, there i did thank you for observing that i'm just curious where would then our profitability ratios fall into is that the equity or would you consider that the efficiency um it would be in the uh, actually there there are the profitability ratios which is okay. four ratios there's okay. a net profit, gross profit, return on asset, return on equity. Those are their profitability ratios. Okay. So just so I'm clear, we've got the liquidity, the leverage, the efficiency, uh, the equity, and, and sorry, though the equity is the profitability is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. Great. Okay. I'm with you. So, so if we look at, so let's look at the liquidity ratios. So, and, and, and I look at three, basically. Um, one is the current ratio, which is simply current assets over current liabilities. So in, to keep it simple is that for every dollar that I owe in current asset and in current liability, I mean, because if we understand the definition of current liability is anything that we owe in the next 12 months. Okay. So it's accounts payable, it's vacation, you know, uh, HST payable, it's your line of credit, it's your credit cards, it's your current portion of long-term debt. But this is where I find that there's some discrepancies because sometimes on financial statements, they don't have all the proper categories in their current liabilities. So when you're doing the ratio, it's not really going to give you the right number if you don't have the right categories. Oh, so we just can I just stop there for a moment? Because I think that's so important when you're looking at these balance sheets and, and we'll articulate it in the show notes. But everything you just mentioned, that list of what's coming up in the next 12 months should be sitting in current liabilities. Because I think, Ron, that was that was a, a golden nugget is making sure you're taking the right data to actually do the calculation and not just going with what's on that sheet without understanding what's in that balance sheet. So sorry to, to cut you off there. I thought no. that was so important. So, so again, the current ratio, that's why it's called current because it's current assets over current liabilities. So current asset is anything that is cash or can be converted into cash in the next 12 months. And current liabilities is everything we owe in the next 12 months. So it's all that 12 month period. So from a current ratio perspective, um, if you have a business that actually holds inventory, your minimum ratio that you want is what we call two to one, meaning that for every dollar of current liability that I owe, I want to have at least $2 in current assets to cover it. If you fall below that two to one, you're going to have cash flow problems, guaranteed. Okay. okay, so that and, and again, so if we look at current assets, that cash in the bank, accounts receivable, inventory, prepaid expenses, investments, and your capital account. I want to come back to that in a second. Yeah. So, so the capital account. So that again, it's all money that's available to you within the next 12 months. And then the current liabilities is going to be again, your accounts payable, your line of credit, your credit cards, 
your vacation pay that's due, HST that's due, current portion of long-term debt, anything that is short-term. Even so, so, so what I find sometimes when I look at financial statements is that I'll see, you know, shareholders loan and the current liabilities. And then I look at the notes and there's no agreement of repayment of, you know, so, so I mean, that's a long-term liability, but if you're doing the calculation, it'll just give you the false number. You think that you owe more in current liabilities than you actually do. And can I ask a question then on the current assets? Uh, because this current ratio, is this also the one that's known as the quick ratio or the asset test? Two different ones. Two different ones. Okay. So I'm, I'm jumping ahead because my mind was going to inventory. That's so okay. No, no, I'll that's stop. good. Okay. No, oh, I sorry. laugh then because I think that the asset test is where I was like, okay, I think we take out the inventory out of that exactly. one, but that's a separate one. So, so, so yeah. So the current ratio, again, you want two to one minimum, the higher, the better. Okay. So you're, you're actually looking at three or four and, and so, and coming back to those industry benchmarks, I mean, we'll get to that in that third segment, but I, I think, you know, you should always aim for the two to one is the minimum. So you should be looking for more than that. So again, coming back to how quickly, how often should we look at this every month? So we should be looking at that ratio every month, because if we're getting, if the ratio is getting worse, then it tells you what should I be doing next month to start to get back on track? Because if I continue on this trend, I'm going to be, be in real trouble in, in eight, nine months from right. now. Well, I think so, that's, that's what was so, um, that's what was so relevant about how you started this conversation off as well is charting your trajectory, right? From five years back, not from today's starting point, but what has the line looked like? Right. From, you know, has this been a trend over five years or is this just a, a small little slump? Although, you know, through COVID, I'm sure a lot of people experienced a, a drop off the cliff moment there. But um, but thank you for that, to, you know, to just be aware of what those patterns have looked like so that we can understand. Is this just a COVID related incident or did I go into COVID vulnerable? And I need to fix that story. It's not about, oh, we'll just go back to normal because the normal was not an, uh, you know, your ratios were not adding up. So thank you, Ron, for that. So, so when we look at, so again, coming back to the current ratio, you as, as an owner of a business, you can also say at the end of the year, I'd like to be at three to one. Okay, so that means that for every dollar of current liability, I'll have at least three dollars in current assets to, to cover it. If you're there, you'll be fine. You're not going to have any cash flow problems. So then we look at the next one, which is the asset test, which we you, you related to, or the current or the quick ratio. And when we call quick ratio, it means quick cash. If I needed money in the next thirty days, can I can I have access to that, that money? So normally you have cash in the bank, your accounts receivable. Hopefully you'll get paid within the next thirty or sixty days. I mean, so we can, you know, so that would be an issue. But the only vulnerability is that we're not, it's not guaranteed that we can convert all our inventory into cash in the next 30 days, because normally inventory is for longer periods. So we actually take the current assets minus the inventory. And I actually take away the, like the prepaid expenses, because I'm not going to cash in an insurance that I just paid. So I just take really the, the quick cash that's available to me within the next 30 days. And then I, I still owe the current liabilities. That doesn't change. We still owe that money to somebody in the next 12 months. So then we take the current assets minus 
your inventory prepaid, you know, stuff that it's not going to be easily accessible to you in the next 30 days or 60 days. Then you divide that by the quick, by the current ratio, the, the current liabilities. And there you should have a minimum of one to one. So for every dollar that you owe, you want at least a dollar in current assets to cover quick assets. And then again, if you're below that one to one, you're going to have a cash flow problem. Okay. So one of the things that some people, this is a, an, another quick note that you can use is that let's say that your current ratio is 2.5 to one, meaning that you, for every dollar that you own current liabilities, you have $2 and 50 cents. And then you do your quick ratio. Could you taken away the inventory out of the equation? Now it's 0.85 to one. So it's below that one to one. The only thing we changed was the inventory. We took the inventory out of the equation. So if our current ratio was fine at 2.5 to one, uh, for the current ratio and now the quick ratio would, by removing the inventory we're at 0.85 to 1 that means that we have too much inventory on hand so you should be selling some of your inventory convert it into cash get your ratio back to where it should be wow okay and uh correct me if i'm wrong though uh with covid we might not have just been able to move inventory people might have just been sitting with it which might then prompt them to say okay maybe we need a different delivery model right if people aren't coming in the store maybe we need to get these products online do it through e-commerce whatever that looks like but but what you're suggesting is get that inventory out to make sure that your ratio is sitting back where it needs to be that one-to-one -one is what i'm hearing and be careful how much you're ordering because, okay. you know, you've got a lot of salespeople right now that are trying to, they're in the same boat. So they say, do I have a deal for you? If you buy this stuff, if you buy this quantity, I can give you 15% discount. Well, then if you have to use a line of credit in order to support the financing of that inventory, which is going to now last you a year and a half because you have to buy this large quantity, it's not, it's, this is, again, it's a trap. <laughs> You're going to get into a cash flow problem. So no. I would always look... You know, you should, you don't want to run out of inventory, but just buy the inventory that you need, but price it properly. And so the, you know, don't compromise those, those sort Beautiful. of. Yeah. Beautiful. I will, um, I will just comment here. We had a, a pro in here that was um, uh, speaking all about retail and inventory. And one of the comments that he made, and we'll put it in the show notes is, is exactly what you're saying. And, or, you know, to that effect where everybody needs to take on a portion of the risk now the suppliers and the buyers. It's not one person wins out of all of this. Everyone's got to meet at the table and, and find a way through it. Right. Although we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, thankfully. But um, so I, I love that comment. I think that's really important for a lot of founders to hear about, you know, don't jump all in and jump on the discounts. Make sure you've got a way to move that to keep that ratio uh, in check. Okay. So those are the liquidity ratios which speak to kind of our short-term position and then we get into leverage ratios. so i'm hearing the two that we have there what do we need to look for um, when we start talking about leverage and what does that mean exactly well leverage would be the, the 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 ratios that we see in leverage hold on now i just want to make sure that um uh, the, the the main leverage ratios are um uh, where are they now because there's a, there's a few here um they're they're basically the 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 um the profitability those are the profitability ratios the leverage ratios is return to asset and 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 you know return to equity and so the thing is is that the amount of assets that you have you want to make sure that they're they're making you money 
So this is so when we talk about leverages, you're leveraging your assets in order to, to, to gain some profitability from that. So is every piece of asset actually working to make you money? So you can do it on an in, individual asset basis or you can do it on the total asset basis. And so the other thing that you want to look at, too, on the leverage on the leverage side is that is that for every dollar of asset, how much do you owe? Because you can, you know, you can only finance you financing a business, leveraging a business or financing a business is only two ways. You can either finance it through assets or you can finance it through equity, meaning that you put your money in. So if you're financing it through assets, you want to make sure that, and again, typically it doesn't matter what the industry indicators are. I always look like a 50 to one ratio, meaning that for every dollar of liability or every, yeah, that I have at least $2 in assets. Okay. So if I take the total, when I took about leveraging, because mm-hmm. if you need to go to the bank, they're always going to look at, is there any equity left in, in borrowing or lending money? Right. So, so leveraging some of that money, you can use some of that equity that you have in the business. But if you're, if you're, 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 you're debt to equity or your debt to capital, I mean, is, is one-to-one meaning that for every dollar that you owe, you only have $1 of a- asset you know as well as I do that any financial institution on commercial buildings, they only lend out 65% of market value, 50% of equipment value, 20% of inventory. So you got to have a whole lot of, 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 of assets and, 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 and that market value in order to be able to do that. So coming back to the leverage ratios, I'm always looking at what do you have in order to, to, to leverage some of that financing. So, Again, the, 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 the amount of assets that you have and the amount of liability that you have, you want at least a two to one. So basically, again, for every dollar that you owe, you have $2. And, and that would mean, because if you look at a balance sheet, you take all your assets right. is equal to your liabilities plus your equity. So if your liabilities to, to, to uh, capital or to the cap, uh, yeah, liabilities or capital to liabilities, or debt to equity ratio or debt to capital, I should say, I'm getting confused here, but debt to capital and probably confusing your audience too, is that for every dollar of liability, I have at least $2 in asset, which would mean that you also have for every dollar of, of asset, you have 50 cents in equity or because the two to one would, it has to add up to, to one. Okay. Your assets equal liabilities and equity. So if I step back for a moment, I'm going to put myself in the shoes of a startup here so a startup borrows $100,000, takes that $100,000, most likely is, is, is investing $75,000 of it in some sort of capital expenditure, equipment, or inventory, So and then maybe $25,000 in working capital. So in the beginning of starting up a business, we're not going to see that two-to-one ratio because they're just, they're highly leveraged, right? They're at the point of, of getting started. And... As they progress now through the building of their business, and this is where um, the work that you do is so powerful because the idea is about building profitability into your operations because then that profitability comes in and it goes into retained earnings, which starts to increase the value of the business, which is where we start to build that ratio up. We start to strengthen that ratio, increasing that value. So as I'm wrapping my head around this, we have two ways to increase value. We have the profits of those quarterly or annually returns. They go into retained earnings and or 
any sort of capital investments that we've made, I guess, specifically into property. I'm trying to think of capital investments that um, increase in value versus depreciate in value. Property is one of those that would start to bring up the, the, the value or the ratio, start to strengthen that ratio, where some of the equipment, not so much inventory because you're turning it over, but some of that equipment is going to depreciate in value. I love this. This is all starting to make sense to me. It's like a little bit of a teeter totter where you really do have to start to understand that we're looking to build up our asset side of the business through that net profit, through the the value in the, in the, the, the expenditures that we invest in, or if we're investing in depreciating assets, making sure they're making the money for us in the window of that opportunity to increase that value. Okay, you're blowing my mind there. I'm getting it wrong. Uh, okay, so on that point, <clears throat> let's talk about EBITDA, earnings okay. before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So what I've seen is that, and again, it's not necessarily the true picture of a balance sheet. So uh, an example of that is, let's say that somebody, and I just had a client here a couple of weeks ago, he bought a brand new truck for his construction business, paid $84,000 for that truck. Okay, so now his accountant and he asked his accountant, you know, like I just bought this truck. So in his year and it was coming up. So, yeah, we're going to depreciate it by 30% because that's what CRA allows us to do that. So now I said, did you finance your truck? Yeah, got a great deal. 0% interest on 84 months. So now he's financing it for 84 months, which is seven years. And the account is depreciating at 30%. So in three years time, 90% of it will be depreciated. So in, in three years time. He's got 10% left on the value of the truck and he still owes four years. He's going to be in trouble when we look at those ratios. Makes sense. And that is happening in 98% of the business of the financial statements that I see. So we have, because you're going to be looking at your ratios, the value of your asset on your balance sheet compared to what you owe. <laughs> and so this is where the discrepancy comes in. So what I always, again, the, the ratio that I look for in that debt to capital ratio is always try to get to that two to one or 50 to one or, or 0.5 to one, meaning that for every dollar of liability, we actually have $2 in assets to cover it. So if you monitor your balance sheet, then you're going to start to see how come I'm, my assets are going down so quickly and my liability is, is not going down as quickly as my ass, as my, my depreciation. Yes. And that's a problem. And that's why, and that's why. Okay. And the, so one more thing on that point though, is that if, if you're going to, um, if you're going to do any expenditures on any asset that you have, whether it's a building or a piece of equipment or whatever you have, if it's going to increase the value of that asset, capitalize it, meaning that you're going to go to the balance sheet. Let's say you just spent $50,000 on, on the roof. So then go to your building and add the value of your building by $50,000 on your balance sheet. Don't expense it as repair and maintenance, because again, this is where people get in trouble. We just so when you're doing that is that you're simply increasing your operating expenses in order to reduce your net profit. Yes, you're going to pay a few less pennies in tax. I should say pennies or yeah, dollars. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But, but your balance sheet's going to suffer because it's really being depleted and it's not the true val market value of your business. So the, the so the two questions that I ask entrepreneurs is that if it's going to increase the value of your asset, <clears throat> excuse me, capitalize it. If it's not going to increase the value of your asset, expense it as a repair and maintenance. So important, Ron. Thank you for sharing that because I know many founders, uh, when they're looking for money, 
That's when they go to the bank. That's typically when the bank is saying your ratios aren't adding up. They're not having the conversation with the accountant because you're right. It's usually this short-term gain of I'm going to pay less tax Mm -hmm. in that year. But the long-term consequences of that decision are going to impact the value of the business. This kind of reminds me of a rich dad, poor dad conversation where focus on building value, focus on building assets, focus on building investment, right? Versus doing what you can. The disconnect a little bit is that 30 years ago, it was still 30% for vehicles, but 30 years ago, and so CRA has not changed their depreciation rates in 30 years. But if you look 30 years ago, when you bought a vehicle, you could not get a loan for more than three years for a vehicle. Now you can get a loan for 96 months, which is eight years. So your loan should, your depreciation table should never be shorter than the amount of the, the length of, of uh, financing that you're doing for any asset. Wow. Okay. All right. Thank you. We've done, we've, we've done some deep diving there. So we've talked about the liquidity, the two there, we've talked about the leverage one here. Um, you had mentioned something that I, I want to just talk about here. I think it's important. We talked a little bit about pulling dividends from a business when you're in a deficit position that was a for me that was a that was a moment uh, you know one of those founder bombs that i think everybody needs to hear about so can you elaborate on that a little bit sure so when when your business is in a negative equity position and and not by necessarily your own doing but it comes back to again the way you're depreciating things and everything else so all of a sudden you have less assets than what you owe because you took a you're depreciating stuff in three years and you're you borrowed it for eight years so yeah your 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 ratio is going to start to go wonky but your equity position is going to go into a negative situation where now you owe more than what you own in assets so whenever the equity or the shareholders equity is in a negative position and people have been accustomed to taking dividends out of their business. It's illegal in, in to take dividends when you're in a negative equity position because you're actually stealing from your company. And CRA will red flag that. Although, and I see it time and time again on, on financial statements. So, um, wow. you know, I, I wonder about this. I know. I'm just going to be silent there for a moment because I need all the founders to really let that sit in. One question on that, is that for a specific period of time? Because here's here's my worry for many founders hearing this. Many founders aren't looking at their statements until four months after year end. I have no idea what position they're in. So is this for the, the given year? So if at the end of the year, they're in a negative position, but they took dividends in that same year, is that when the flag happens or it does it happen quarterly how does that work and that might be a little bit it's at year end when you file your financial statements with cra if you're in a negative def, if you're in a negative equity position and you have taken any dividends you are in okay i really hope founders are hearing that right now because if that was ever a reason to go speak to your accountant before i know we're right now as this episode is airing we're we're heading into the year end for many business owners or we're at the start of a new fiscal for some but um this is where again don't leave your uh don't leave your reviews until four months after year end get on top of this because look at it from this perspective a limited company is an entity in its own Mm -hmm. okay so now dividends can only be taken out 
um, af it's, it's after you have net profits and dividends are taken out after net profits. You have to have net profits in order to take dividends. So if you're in a negative equity position, you probably have losses. So now you're take you have losses and you're still taking money out of the business. Yes. You're actually because you as a as an as a shareholder, you are simply a shareholder of that entity. Wow. So you are actually stealing from that, you know, theoretically, that's what it would be. Oh. Okay. Well, that's, I think it's important for people to know this was a crazy year. 2020 was crazy. 2021 where, you know, it seems like things are, are slowly turning right side up, but um, definitely make sure that uh, you're speaking with your accountant better yet, understand the numbers, be able to pull the reports yourself, see what position you're in and then ask your accountant the questions, right? To, okay. Um, so Ron, uh, with respect to ratios, We've talked about the, the, the three there with respect to the, the leverage, the two in liquidity. Are there any others that you think are really important for founders to stay on top of to really effectively manage their business? Profitability ratios. Okay. Net profit and gross profit. And so, I mean, listen, and you should be looking at this on a monthly basis, but the problem is, and it comes back to the way that you're doing your accounting, because um, I'm, I'm always, you have to have the right information in, from the, in front of you in order to make informed decision as a business owner. So when a lot of things are just waiting till the end of the year and let the accountant do all the year end adjust adjustments, you're not dealing with the right information. So it comes back to, you know, net profits, you know, my game is that any business doesn't matter what sector you're in, doesn't matter what volume of sales you are, doesn't matter where you're located geographically, you should be aiming for 10% net profit. So when I talk to a lot of people, I said, if nothing else, focus on that. And what strategies can you put in place in order to inch up to that 10%? Because I can tell you now, if you get to that 10%, all of these ratios will be fine. They will be, you don't have to worry about any, you'll, your cash flow will be fine. Your, 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 all your equity ratios will be fine. And all your, your leverage ratios will be fine. But coming back to that is that this is where, again, coming back to depreciation, which is, which is what we call a non-cash outlay expense. Mm -hmm. Although you have a loan that you're paying and the principal on the loan is basically your amortization is that. If, if you wait till the end of the year, you're going to know, you, you may get a big surprise because if you think you're doing well all year long and all of a sudden you do those adjusting entries, which, you know, some of them are like $100,000 in, in depreciation, all of a sudden you, you were at 4% net profits, now you're at negative 2% net profit. Well, how can that be? All year long, I really struggled and made sure that I was getting net profit. So I always tell people, learn how to do a journal entry on a monthly basis on your depreciation because your any asset does not depreciate once a year it depreciates all year long so mm -hmm. every month do that depreciation mm -hmm. which comes to my point about a capital account there was oh in, in over a thousand businesses that i've worked with across canada in the last 10 years i've only seen one business that actually had a capital account in their current asset so the capital account is simply this. You've got it, yeah. Is that the amount of depreciation that you're taking on a monthly basis, because you've already expensed it on your income statement, take it out of your current account, cash, set up another account, call it a capital account, and put that money into the capital account. Learn to operate on whatever's left in your current account. Then you will have all the money you need to replace your equipment when it goes, when it breaks down, to repair them and everything else. Because if you have your money in your current account, what's going to happen? You're going to spend it. I love that. 
Okay, let's let that sink in. I'm going to a cash flow statement right away, but I think that's important. I think there's a lot of parallels with a personal budget as well, right? And let's plan for a holiday and, you know, take that money out, put it aside, right? So this is what I'm hearing when it comes to depreciation or amortization, taking that money out. The other reason why I think that's so important, Ron, is that um, oftentimes it's hard for founders to wrap their head around the authenticity of their or the actuality of their true cash position because of the amortization and depreciation. They're like, there's too many numbers that aren't really what's in my bank account. So I think this is where they get confused about the reality of what the value of their business is worth based and and then this confusion around what's in their bank account. So taking that money out, I love this, set up a capital account, take out that depreciation, put it in there. Two questions on that, and I know I'm muddying the waters here, so I apologize. Is that capital account where you would also recommend they start taking their taxes and putting those aside too? Well, again, it depends on the type of corporation that you have. Okay. Okay. According to CRA, if you if you're up to a certain level of taxation, you need to do installments on a monthly basis. Okay. So I would encourage people to do those installments. That way, there you're not going to get that big bill at the end of the year. Um, so, but on on the other hand as well is that yes, you can use that capital account in order. Again, it's still your money. It, it yeah. doesn't really change anything, but that's your, I call it my yes. rainy day fund. I can always access mm-hmm. that money if I'm short. So it comes back to that more or less cash flow mm-hmm. uh, uh, assistance. Yeah. So it's really, you know, that, that helps a lot. So coming back to the profitability ratios. And again, you were saying on the personal side or on the business side, you know, and this is, it's sort of a revelation here. I was just talking to a lot of people that are working in the agricultural sector. And I said, you know, one of the conversations you have to have with every entrepreneur is first of all, is decide what do they need to live on? Because the business has to support their life, you know, their, 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 their well-being on their, on the personal side. But I said, whatever they need, so calculate everything, food, you know, if they're paying rent or have a house or a mortgage or whatever, car payments or whatever, you know, birthdays, Christmas gifts, whatever, like put everything down. If you're not sure, get yourself a little scribbler and write down everything you spend money on. I go to Tim Hortons twice a day, put that down. So how much money do you need to live off? And then I say, add 20% because that 20% is your retirement. You need to put some money aside. So whatever it costs you, add 20%. So that's the amount of money that the business needs to generate. So when we look at that, the business also has to to generate a minimum of 10% net profit after you've paid a reasonable salary to the owner in order for for them to be able to live. So when you look at those two equations, it starts to make a lot of sense to a lot of people. Oh, okay, that's why I'm having so much trouble. Yes. So let's just repeat that for everyone listening, because I think that is, uh, that's key to making this work. Because a lot of business owners at the end of the year will say, oh, you know what, I'm so excited, I generated a three to 4% net profit. Yes, they deserve to celebrate, they're not break even, they're not deficit. But the first thing that we look at is, was there a fair owner's salary in there? Fair market salary, that's the first thing any evaluator is gonna put in, right? It is usually not there. People are scraping by and, you know, just taking what the business can afford them when it can afford that. So what I'm hearing you say is understand your personal budget, 
understand what this business needs to pay you, probably weigh it with what is a fair market salary, put that in there, make sure you're planning for that. And then in addition to that salary, this is where we're still looking for a 10% net profit. Okay. Can I ask, where did 10% come from? Why 10? Because, okay, so with all, if I come back to Stats Canada years ago, every two years, all the, all the businesses, whether they're sole proprietorship or they're incorporators, they, they all have to fulfill the, you know, the requirements and submit their financial statements to CRA. So CRA in conjunction with Industry Canada and Stats Canada, they've come up with these worst in sector performers, average in sector performers, and best in sector performers. So what I've noticed is that all the best in sector performers, which is the 25 percentile, top top 25 percentile, are all making more or less 10 percent or more net profits. That's why they're successful. So this is where I, you know, I say 10 percent, but uh, some businesses, especially in sort of like the um, the the healthcare sector, whether it's massage therapists or kinesiologists or chiropractors or you know. They, they're all in the 25 to 30 percent net profit, actually. Wow. I think that's going to blow some minds of founders listening in because of the founders that I have worked with that are in that space. They struggle with this, especially those independent founders that are they're really just trading time for money. And then they reach out, uh, they reach their capacity and then they get stuck. So um, we'll get into that in a little bit. But thank you for for really kind of laying that down for everybody that we're looking for that 10 percent net profit. So thank you for this segment, Ron. There's so much in there. I do want to come back to when we started this, this part one about ratios, you talked about the Ron Show ratio. And my guess is, I am going to make an assumption here, that is the profitability ratio, correct? Okay. If That's nothing right. else, you know, even when I talk to like economic development officers or whatever, challenge your clients, challenge entrepreneurs. If nothing else, how are you going to get to your 10% net profit? If the only, because we all have limited resources of time and money. Yeah. So I would like, if nothing else, just focus on that. How are we going to get to our 10% net profit? If you do that, you're going to have a lot of success. Beautiful. If you just focus on that one. Beautiful. And you know what? I will mention here, because this comes up quite frequently, and I saw the conversation, the threads of conversation through COVID, where there was, there's this stigma in society that profiting is bad right? That businesses thrive at the cost of people, at the cost of, of purpose, at the cost of planet for the sake of profit. And it, it, it has, I think it is, it has come at a huge disadvantage and a huge cost to small business owners, because now there's this resistance to profit. Profit is the health of the business. And Ron, as you just pointed out, we need that profit to go back into retained earnings to increase the value of the business. And just so everybody can wrap their head around this, the value of the business means we get to stay around, we get to employ more people, our GDP comes up. It's, you know, I see small business owners really as the road to recovery for this economic, you know, well, I don't want to say disaster, I want to be mindful of my language, but we are in, uh, we are in hot water as a country with respect to the deficit that we're at. Sorry, Ron, you want to? No, no, this is a really good point and a good segment in is that and, and in the previous segment that I did, I think I mentioned this is that, and I know with COVID, the government has spent a lot of money in order to 
you know, subsidize, you know, in order to maintain cash flows and everything else. That I understand. But just prior to COVID, you know, and, and this, we haven't had, COVID, the COVID is only in the last year, okay? So prior to COVID, we still know that 50% of all businesses never make it to the fifth year, okay? And that's been a tradition for the last 35 years since I've been keeping track of these statistics. I didn't go back for that far. I still know that 80% of all businesses that surpass five years make less than 1% net profit. So, and I would, I'm a, a strong proponent, take care of the pennies, the dolls will take care of themselves. If we are able to increase the net profits of our 80% of those businesses that are only making 1%, I'm not even talking about the 50% that are no longer, no longer there because they're not contributing at all to government uh, um, income because it's they're losing money and they're not paying any corporate taxes or income tax. So, but those... 80% that are making 1%, if we were able to increase those 80% from 1% to 4%, which I can do overnight, we would eliminate the Canadian debt in four years and not increase any taxes. How much better off would we oh. be? At so, so this is why one to 4%, I mean, if let's say somebody is charging, I don't know, $250 for a product or whatever. So if I take $250 and let's say I'm only making 1% net profit. And the only thing I'm going to do is I'm going to increase my price by 3%. So I'm going to increase my price by 3%. Whoops, I got to put the calculator on. So multiply 1.03. So now I'm going to sell my $250 item. I'm going to sell it now for $250.50. I have just quadrupled my net profits because I went from 1% to 4%. And that's $7.50 more on a $250 item. Wow. I love watching you work. It all it all makes sense when you when you do it. It seems so simple. And I think this is the thing. It is simple. It is simple for founders to do. I think that perhaps they're just starting from a disadvantage where they don't really understand their numbers. feels very great to them. They don't know how to actually start implementing these changes and the impact that it would have. So... Thank you for the work that you do and the clarity that you bring to founders, especially around that net profit, because the other piece here that that really landed with me as you were talking is that if you have net profit, all the ratios take care of themselves. Yeah. Don't start trying to fix the ratios, just fix the net profit, everything, the dominoes just start to, you know, they, Absolutely. I don't want to say they start to fall because that sounds negative, but they get you to the end line, right? In a, in a, in this beautiful formation. So well, let thank me give you. you a very quick example on that, just so that we pretty well clear that the, the sort okay. of segment. So let's say you have a business that's selling for $250,000. Those are the gross sales. Okay. And let's say the owner invested $50,000 of their own money in order to start this business. And let's say that it's like 80% of all businesses, they're making 1% net profit. So 1% net profit on $250,000 is $2,500. Your return on investment, okay, which is one of the ratios, is $2,500 divided by the $50,000 that you invested initially, which is a 5% return. Now, let's say that we're able to get to our 10% net profit. So our 200, no more sales, the same sales, $250,000. Now we are achieving 10% net profit. Now we made $25,000 in net profit as opposed to $2,500. Our return on asset is now 50%. We went from 5% to 50% just by getting to our 10% net profit. That's oh, why I said all the ratios will clear themselves if we do that. Brilliant, brilliant. What a great way to leave this. Just that example for people to really bite into. Okay, thank you, Ron. As always, that there was tons of clarity in there. So thank you for that. So appreciate.
um, your time. We're going to see you back in here for part two. As we close off part one, I just want to thank our episode uh, champs, Community Futures, Saskatchewan. They have over 13 offices across the province to help founders figure this stuff out. <laughs> in addition to Ron coming here to kind of lay the framework. So make sure you visit your team there, Community Futures, um, one of the offices across the province. Ron, thank you for being here. We're gonna see you for part two, where we're gonna talk a little bit about percentages and how that will help you to better understand, gain clarity around where you are right now and where some of the gaps might be and how you can fix those. So thank you for your time. We'll see you back in here for part two. All right, founders, welcome back to part two of the Golden Ratios and benchmark uh, industry benchmark standards. We have Ron Robichaud with us, and Ron is the founder of Demystify Your Profits. He is the, the profit king, really, in my book. I, Ron's taught me everything I know about, uh, about profits and the importance of profiting in business, not at the cost of planet, purpose, or people, but for the health of the business so that we've got a, you know, we've got a long road to recovery here and so that we need as many businesses thriving as possible. So Ron, one of the things that I really appreciate about your approach to numbers is converting dollar values into percentages. I think um, that many founders are used to seeing percentages on their statements, but in my opinion, those percentages don't tell us a lot because they're usually comparing to a period of time versus comparing to revenue. So tell us a little bit about how we go about doing it, the importance of doing it, and, and how we can start kind of seeing where the opportunity is for uh reparation or or reconciliation in those numbers might be so if we look at like sort of the 30 30,000 foot level is that and from an income statement perspective is that we have revenues we have our direct costs or cost of goods sold which is anything that you incurred in order to sell that product then you have your gross profit which is the difference between your revenues and cost of goods sold the gross profit is the amount of money that you have available in order to pay your operating expenses and to leave you with a net profit. So the unfortunate thing is that, the, you know, Sage and QuickBooks and all of these accounting softwares do not convert things into percentages. So when we look at it, so the numbers are going to give us the, you know, the dollar value of sales, the dollar value of cost of goods, the dollar value of gross profit, but we need to convert those into percentages. So everything is a derivative of sales. So let's say coming back, let's say that you have $200,000 in sales. And let's say that you, um, that you bought materials for $100,000 in order to generate $200 in sales. From a percentage per, you take $100,000 that it costs you, the cost of goods sold, divided by the $200,000, which is sales. So your cost of goods is 50%. So when you do this on a month-to-month -month basis, are you staying the plan? Because if you're saying that I need a markup of 100% in order to, or I need a gross profit, of 50% in order to pay all my operating expenses and to leave me with a net profit of 10%. So that means that my operating expenses cannot be more than 40% of my revenues. So when you're converting it to percentages, 
the numbers go up and down all the time, yeah. but until you convert them to percentages, that's where you start to see some consistency from month to month and if things are going into the right direction or not. Because if your net profit is going down, then you know you got a problem. So, you know, we, when we look at, look at it this way, cost of goods sold and operating expenses are 100% of your expenses. Revenue is 100% of money coming in. So if you want a 10% net profit, your total expenses cannot be more than 90% of your revenue. So as a percentage, what is your cost of goods sold as a percentage of revenue? And what is your operating expenses as a percentage of revenue? And if you add those two percentages, is it more than 90%? If it is, then we need to go and fix that. So, and there's only a couple of things we can do to do that. So, well, maybe would you be open to sharing what those things are? Because okay, I think so a lot of people would be interested in hearing that. So again, and, and I'll use the restaurant, okay, as, as an example, the restaurant sector. So when we look at, you know, labor and materials in any business is always going to be your major expenses. If you're, if you're in retail, it's going to be mostly the, the purchases of products that you're buying to resell. If you're going to be in the service sector, it's going to be mostly labor. If you're going to be in manufacturing, it's going to be sort of half and half. Most of the trades like electrical, plumbing, construction, and all that is going to be half and half. Even the restaurants, it's half and half. You know, 30% labor, 30% cost of goods, of food costs, and then you're left with 40%. So, I mean, that's, that's sort of typical. So what I usually indicate to people is that whether you're in retail, whether you're in service, whether you're in manufacturing or in the trades, it really doesn't matter what sector you're in. Labor and materials combined should never be more than 60% of your revenues. So that allows you how to price your product as well. Because if you say that, you know, if, if, you're, if your labor and material costs cannot be more than 60% of my revenues, then you're pretty well, what does it cost me in labor? What does it cost me in material? Divided by 0.6, that's what you need to charge a customer. It's no more complicated than that. But what I find is that people are always looking at, well, this is what my competition is charging. Right. So you got to be careful with that because it's, it, you're not comparing apples and apples. And you've heard me say this before. Business, the successful businesses, they, they are successful because of three things. One is that quality of the product, because if you don't have quality products or services, people won't come back. The service, customer service that you provide your customers. If you don't, you can have the best customer service, but if you don't have the quality, people won't come back. You can have the best uh, quality, but if you don't have the customer service, people won't come back. Thirdly, you need a price to stay in business and to make a profit. Mm -hmm. So, And I always tell the people, let the market decide. This is the price you need in order for you to be in business and to make a reasonable net profit. If the market does not want to pay that price, then you got to look at different strategies, you know, but I find that if you have your quality and service, people will pay the price because people like to go where, you know, and we're all creatures of habit. But coming back to the percentages is that we need to convert to percentages because that's the consistency we can see on a month-to-month -month basis. Now, and I know you know that I always use this sort of performance scorecard. So whatever your, and, and again, your chart of accounts has to be set up properly in order to provide you the information that you need to make those informed decisions. So coming back to, you know, if we look at revenues, I, sell, I, I would tend to tell, you know, anybody or any business is that you, you've got profit centers in your business. So you may have different revenue sources coming from different places. 
okay, I'm selling this product, I'm selling this product, you know, if you're all only selling one thing, it's a little bit different. But if you're, if you've got different things that you're selling, then you want to sort of subdivide it, where's your revenue coming from, but then your cost of goods should be a mirror image of your revenues. So if you have five revenue categories, then you should have five cost of goods categories, because you want to know for every dollar of revenue in that category, how much is it costing me? So you can determine your cost of goods sold and your gross profit for each. Yes. With time, what happens there is that if you want to grow your business, focus on the stuff that's more lucrative. Because if you're making twice as much money on product B than you are on product A, why are you going to grow your business on product A? You have to sell twice as much to make the same amount of money. You only got a limited time, you only got a limited resources and time and money, so why not focus on those things? But by converting to percentages, it will tell you exact, am I making that 10% net profit? Not that right. dollar amount, look at the percentage. So it's always about looking at percentage, convert everything to percentages. So to come back, uh, there was there were so many things in there I wanna dive into, but I wanna keep it simple for the founders listening, because I think for a lot of founders listening, this is gonna be a new concept for them. There's many new concepts in this. The first is separate out your revenue streams or your profit centers and not have a list of 35, pick your top most to your, your 80-20 rule, right? Which ones are generating 80% of your revenue? Yep. So we've got that. Once you understand what those are, then you're able to understand what products or services is there a demand for? What, what products or services are actually bringing in the money? Now, what I've heard you say, which I think is key, is the cost of goods. So the amount of money you are out of pocket, labor, materials, to deliver that product or service, it needs to have its own category. It needs to mirror to your language, the revenue that has come in. And I think for many founders, that is gonna be a whole new kind of what? I have no idea what it is that you're talking about. Because typically they have one bucket, right? They have one bucket where they throw everything into cost of goods. And it might be, oh, materials and labor, and then we did this, and then there were subcontractors, but it's for all five or however many revenue streams they have. So what I think is brilliant about what you're suggesting is that if they separate that out and they do the work to figure out the true costs for delivering that product or service, then they're able to, A, it influences their pricing strategy because it's usually, a, oh my goodness, I didn't realize how much this was actually costing me. So I can't charge what Joe down the street is charging because he's losing money. No wonder he has the going out of business sign on his window. And um, and then the, the second piece to that is now to your point, you're able to answer the question, what product or service is most profitable? Because uh -huh. you may be making a whole whack of money on product A, but it's only generating you 5% profit, whereas product B, you're getting 95%. And so it might influence your marketing efforts. Or you can look, what can I do to improve product A? Or product A. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. So to your point, then start to maybe find some negotiating power with suppliers or whatever that might be to take down those costs. So the interesting thing, <clears throat> what I've been noticing is that, and, and let me use an example, whether it's a contractor, a, a plumber or an electrician, all I see is revenues. And in that there's two types of revenues. There's materials that they bought and resold to the customer and the labor that they charge to the customer. Yes. So when they have employees, 
So if that's not separated, I have no idea what their productivity is per employee. So I need to read. So now I put in, you know, so this is where timesheet comes in. But let's say, so let's say, let's give an example. Let's now that we separate the materials and, 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 and labor. So if you're putting a 20% markup on materials, then it should be relatively easy. Okay, this is how much I, I revenue or, or sold in materials. This is what my cost of goods was in materials. Is my cost of goods 80% because or not 80%. If I have a markup of, of uh, 20%, it'll be around the 15% uh, cost of goods sold. So you can say, is your pricing strategy working or am I losing or waste or anything like that? So let's take a look at the employee now. So let's say I'm paying an employee 25 bucks an hour. I'm using that and it might be low in your area, but so let's say I'm paying somebody 25 bucks an hour. People need to realize that the labor costs, you need to add 18%. So $25 times 1.18, it's actually costing you $29.50 if you're paying somebody $25 an hour. And so that sorry, 18... I just, just right there, I just want to, the 18% is for source deductions, right? Because I can see in founders head, they're like, why 18%? What is that? EI, vacation pay, statutory holidays, sick time. Like most people are putting 12% and most textbooks are saying 12%. That's wrong. It's never cost at 12. And this, so when you're making, when you're pricing your product or service, if you're pricing from a labor perspective, and I see this almost time and time again, people will tell me I'm just paying $20 or $25 an hour. So then I'm, I'm charging, let's say $50 an hour. I'm making a hundred percent markup on my labor. Well, yeah. no, it's costing you 29.50. So now you're, you've just lost 5% on your margin. But the thing that I notice is that, so let's say, so again, let's say that it's um, let's say that's twenty nine fifty multiplied by let's say forty hours. So I'm paying the person eleven hundred and eighty dollars uh, for the week. So now let's say that I am charging um, let's say I'm charging sixty dollars an hour for labor. So then let's say that my um, let's say that I generated fifteen hundred dollars in labor revenue that week. Okay, so you follow me so far? I'm with you. So. So I, I charge 60 bucks an hour and I build out $1,500, but it costs me $1,180 in order because of the labor I have. Yes. If I want to know my productivity, I will simply, or if I want to know, um, if I take the $1,500 that I charge in labor, so 1,500 divided by my $60 an hour, I only charged out $25, but I paid out 40. What did the person do for the other 15 hours in that week? Right. And you need to be at 80% productivity minimum for any employees that, when you are billing out by the hour. But you can only do that if you separate your income, both with the income sources, whether it's material, labor, they yeah. have to be segregated. And yes. then those costs have to be segregated. So you know, is your pricing strategy okay on your products? And is your yeah. pricing strategy okay on your labor? So here, are we missing some billable hours? or because we're not assuming that they're not goofing off right. so then then it's sort of we should be you know we're missing some billable hours here yes so i think um so everything that you're saying is is so key for founders listening in because i think this is a lot of work that a lot of the work that they avoid doing right so when we come back to percentages when we understand our revenue streams we do our cost of goods we actually take the time and it can be a tedious chore or tasks to start off with. But once you figure that out, you're actually very clearly able to see here are the tasks that go in to delivering that product or service. 
at this amount of time. And now your team is aware that there's a standard that they're supposed to adhere to with respect to, oh, it's going to be that, you know, 20 minutes on that phone call with customer A for point A, right? Or for, for first point of contact. Second point of contact, it's going to be the plan is 15 minutes. So you're right. Everything just gets tightened up. And I think this is the work that a lot of people avoid doing. But back to the percentages, why I think the, the, the suggestion that you have in terms of turning all of these dollar values into percentages is so key. Because to your point, when we are every month, looking at these reports and just seeing dollar values, they're not making a lot of sense to us. We might see that our our gross profit isn't where it needs to be or our net profit isn't where it needs to be, but we don't quite know where to fix it. When everything converts into percentages, you can find the flags right away. It's like, oh, we're 2.3% off of there. It was in that specific cost of goods. We have to go in and figure out what happened in there. Was it labor? Was it materials? Did a supplier increase their price? But when it's all in numbers, we can't find it. And when it's all in buckets, we can't find it. So now highways and hazards, it starts popping out to you where to start to look for things. And this is also a great tool for budgeting. So let me give you the example. So let's say that we, because everybody, every business has, you know, a marketing budget and they have uh, donations and they have office supplies and everything else. So let's say that your overall operating expenses, and again, coming back to that revenues are 100%. Let's say that our cost of goods is 50%. I want a 10% net profit. That means that my operating costs cannot be 40 more than 40% of my revenues. So then you go down into the categories of expenses that you have, and you would apply percentages as a budget item for each of those. So let's say that donations, I'm only going to allow 0.25% of my revenues for donations because mm-hmm. I don't want to bust my budget of 40%, no more than 40 per, for 40%. So my donations are 0.25 percent of my of, of of so now you took you take a look at your revenues if your revenues go up you can give more but never more than 0.25 percent of your revenue if your revenues go down you can you still only give 2.25 percent of your revenues so you never bust your budget now there are some things you have no control over like it might be like loans and interest or, or um Actually, like telephone or utilities or those type of things, but you do have something. So if those are getting a little bit high, then you're going to need to cut back on the things you do have control over to make sure that you don't bust your budget at that percentage of revenue. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. I I, I love it. I think it's a great way to actually better understand too how you plan for profit, right? How you make sure that you're starting with the end in mind versus waiting four months after year end to realize you're, you're not where you thought you were going to be. And just on that, that point about the percentages and how we tend to, to allocate um, specific budgets to a percentage of revenue, one, uh, one category that comes to mind quite quickly is marketing, right? We're typically saying, okay, well, we'll spend X percent of revenue on marketing. And what I love about your format is that when we understand if we're spending 3% of our revenue on marketing, depending on how long it takes, what that window or pipeline takes for us to close a sale, we would expect to see a 6% lift in revenue based on the 3% marketing we were spending, right? We don't want to break even on those marketing efforts. We want to see at least double, if not more. And that's the brilliance of what it is that you do and converting everything into percentages. So Thank you, Ron. As I do, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Well, and I spending money on marketing. How are you going to measure if your marketing's working? Yes. 
conversation with your customers? Well, again, the work that I, um, I, what I love about the work that you do is that many people have heard this. Many founders have heard this. This is a cliche, but they don't know how to measure. They don't even know what to look at. So yeah, they see their marketing budget and they're like, okay, now what? What do I do with this? I spent, you know, $500 last month. What do I do with it? How do I measure it? So thank you for that, Ron. I, you know, this episode, again, I could speak to you all day about these things. Um, This is a longer than normal episode, but so much value here. And what I'm going to encourage everybody to do is just take a, a section at a time. That's why we break this content down into digestible, manageable pieces that you can absorb, listen to it a couple times. And there's a whole whack of tools down in the show notes. So really, after you're feeling inspired by listening to this, what starts to change our brain is actually when we start to take small little baby steps and take action. So download the tool, start putting in your numbers and taking action and and changing your financial outcast or out um, your financial results at the end of all of this. Okay, thank you, Ron. We're going to come back here for part three. Part three is all about industry benchmarks, because I know many founders out there and many development organizations, including community future offices, were always so curious around how we compare to others and what should we be striving for. So, Ron, I know you have some very unique perspectives on this. I'm really looking forward to hearing them. Thank you for being here, Community Future Saskatchewan. Thank you for all that you do. And founders, thank you for watching and listening. We'll see you back in here for part three, which is all about industry benchmarks. All right. Welcome back, founders. Our last segment, part three, last but not least, we saved the best for last, maybe, although I'm a huge fan of profiting. So I'm not sure if this is the best segment, but just as important. We're talking about industry benchmarks, and we are joined by Ron Robichaud, Nail the Number Pro, and founder of Demystify Your Profits. Uh, Ron, we've been working together for years now, and uh, every time I speak with you, I'm always, uh, you know, mind blown with uh, with the expertise that you have. So, so glad that you're here today. Again, thank you for sharing your time. And uh, this segment is all about industry benchmarks. And I'm somewhat hesitant to have this conversation uh, because I'm not a big fan of comparison. We should always just kind of focus on what we do and be the best version of ourselves and do the best we can with the business uh, that we're running. But I know many people um, are always curious, many founders and many um, organizations that support founders are always curious to see where founders land with respect to industry benchmarks. So Maybe you can share with us a little bit about your understanding of industry benchmarks, what you have witnessed and observed over the time you've been working with business owners over decades, really, um, and just your your stand on industry benchmarks. Well, and again, if you look at, you know, you have Industry Canada that has a website that you can go on and you can click. There are about 10,000 NAICS code. Those are the North American industry classification code. So whenever a business is um, filing their income tax return to CRA, they are they have to put in an NAICS code. Um, and so whether they do it or their accountant does it, but most entrepreneurs don't even know what the code is because the, uh, the accountant does that automatically for them. So regardless of that, is that what industry can't, what all your financial information that goes to CRA, it's being extrapolated into these classification, these sectors. 
And so again, like I said, there's about 10,000 that exist. And so what they've done, and then they take, okay, so they take the financial information from their balance sheet and an income statement, and they either, they, they put them in groups, okay? They put them in, in groups of sectors, and they also put them in groups of revenue categories. So you've got sort of like four quadrants. You've got the bottom 25, the next 25%, the next 25%, and the top 25. So this is the Industry Canada website that's available. If you just Google Industry Canada financial benchmarking, um, you'll get that. And then you can go down the category and the, it's going to be like a seven, a six digit number. And then so, but you, you can find your class, you know, more or less. So then you can see what the end, whoever's been reporting financial statements to that. And they take all of that. So they provide averages for everybody who is in that revenue category, whether it's between, let's say, uh, uh, 30,000 and, and, and 35,000 and 35,000 and 90,000 and then 90,000 to, let's say, 125,000 and then 125 to 5 million, because it's always sort of that you can get some industry uh, information more than 5 million in sales, but that would be another sort of benchmark. I think you correct me if I'm wrong, they also take into consideration number of employees and geography, right? And they're taking the annual returns and then of, of these companies in these regions, and then you can segment that way as well. Or well, you can sell segment them by province and you can segment them also by either they're incorporated or they're not incorporated. Oh, okay. Both. Okay, great. So you can segment them that way. And you know, you, <laughs> With, with experience, if you know what the level of revenue is and you know what sector they're in, you can tell exactly how many employees they have. I mean, it's sort of like a reverse engineering type. Okay. Okay. So, you know, because we know that, you know, typically, because if you look at the benchmarks, it'll tell you what the percentage of revenue, um, what the percentage, yes, of revenue would be spent on labor. Right. And then, so if you know what the labor cost is for that sector, you can pretty well tell what the number of, of employees they have in that you. business. Okay. Having said that, though, is that um, so this industry indicator, so this in, this information is because of every business in Canada submits their financial statements on a yearly basis or supposed to those that are on time. Um, so then but we do know that in the last 30 years, and if you look at Statistics Canada or again, Industry Canada Small Business Profile, it will tell you what's the amount of businesses, the survival rate of businesses. So we still know that 50% of all businesses end up closing their doors within the first five years. So we do know that those first 50% are not making any money. That's why they close their door. Lack of profitability is the main reason why people close their doors. So then we have 80% of those businesses that have surpassed five years are making less than 1% net profit. So this is the problem with industry indicators. If we look at that website, you've got the worst performance because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an average of all the businesses, the 50% are losing money, the 80% are making just making 1% net profit and the best in sector. So they're all in there. So when you're looking at benchmarking info, mm -hmm. if you're going to compare yourself to that group, just realize that probably 85% of all businesses are in a really bad situation. So if I'm going to say, well, I'm going to be like them, yes, then you're, you're part of the world. You're part of the problem. So yeah. I would, so again, knowing what the industry averages are or industry indicators are they're, they're, they're good in the sense, you know, for at least looking at it. The one thing I will tell people though, is if you're looking at that data on that website, I just look at which one has the highest net profit 
and how are they operating with those that highest net profit it okay. doesn't matter how big their sales are yeah. so then and i would i would tell people try to try to keep your costs down all your expenses down to those that are the lowest in those doesn't matter where what's at their first 25 second or third or fourth 25 percentile just look at the ones that have the lowest costs as a percentage of revenue and, and always look at the percentages don't look at the dollar figures because you can that's a a, um, a criteria that you can yes. give yes. you can either look at the numbers or look at the percentages i always look at the percentages again the percentages give you a lot, a lot more information so then look at what their costs are try to be equal or better than what they are the, the best in sector performers or the better ones in order for you to get that 10 percent margin okay so I'm hearing go on to Industry Canada as an option if if you're if you're if you're bent on needing to know what the industry is doing, get your NAICS code in there, take a look at it, but understand you're looking for the company or the companies that have the highest net profit, go there first. And then taking a look at what companies have done very well operationally to keep those costs down. I have to say though, right away in my mind worries a little bit about those companies that have low operating expenditures are they actually really accounting for all the true expenses and or are they accounting for that owner's salary what are your thoughts on that so this is why i don't like industry standards <laughs> so then i go back to what do you want to end up with as a business i want to end up with a minimum of 10 percent profits after i've taken myself a fair market wage what are my operating expenses so it's a bottom-up approach I want 10% net profit. My indirect expenses plus my wage is going to be a certain percentage of revenue. So let's assume, okay, hypothetically, let's assume that that's 35%. Yeah. So my net profits plus my operating expenses of 35%, that means I need a gross profit of 45% in order to pay my operating expenses and leave me with a 10%. So if my gross profit is 45%, my cost of goods sold cannot be more than 55% because my gross profit plus my cost of goods sold is equal to 100% my revenues. So then whenever I price my product or service, it cannot be more than 55% my revenue every time. So now you know how to price your product to service. I love it. Okay. So I think that's a really important message. And it, it reminds me a little bit about how we started off this segment where when we're looking to measure our health, right, to understand our vitals, our stats, right, what's important to us. And that when we take a blanket approach to it and we think, oh, you know, body fat should be you know, whatever it is, I'm going to say 7%. And that's probably way wrong. I think it's closer to 14 or 17. But these these labels that get put on things, they can cause a lot of damage, especially for founders in the process of building their business. So know what you want from a net profit perspective, understand the operating expenses. And, and if I can, I'm just going to throw in here because this has been my experience. I don't know if this is your experience, Ron, that the many founders are just they're bootstrapping. And they're trying to do everything themselves. And in most cases, I see operating expenses go up because they haven't really truly budgeted for the real expenses, which also eats in to their net profit because it has to come due at some point. So um, I, I love what you're saying about just really understand what's important to you, starting from the bottom, working your way up, which is going to then influence your cost, your cost of goods, and then get you to understand what your true revenue needs to be um, so that you can start making those efforts to bring in that revenue and kind of getting outside of yourself to, to get those sales calls in. And, and it, th that point about bootstrapping is really important because what I, what I tend to tell entrepreneurs is, you know, make a list of the things that you do. Okay. So 
are there things that, again, if, if I could hire somebody and pay them, let's say $20 an hour, and they can do these five things off my list, yes. which will allow me 20 more hours a week to focus on the things that generate revenue and get me the profits that I need, because I can't get that person to do that. But the, the, a lot of the mundane things that I'm doing is just taken away from the time that I should be focusing on growing the business or making yes. sure I'm getting the profits. So that's another way to look at it. You know, because if you try to do everything yourself, sometimes you're just going to get you know lost between the fours yeah. and burnt out. Right. Especially now through COVID as mentally, we're already, you know, dealing with a lot of stress. And it feels to me, I don't know if you've been seeing this, it's say everybody's just getting tired. Right. It's like, oh, I don't know how much longer I can go. So it's not just running the business. You've got all this mental exhaustion and uh, exhaustion and fatigue that is now compounding the issue with the business. So get the help that you need with staff and people to start taking well, on these things. It comes down and I'll, I'll sort of leave you with this in a sense that you know, in order to get wherever you are in net profits and you want to go up a few percentage points, because every percentage points that you go up is going to be a benefit to your business. There's only four things you can do. But I, I always say, take care of the pennies. The dolls will take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. One or two percent price increase. Cost of living goes up every year. You might as well do that. Keep an eye on your operating expenses, your direct costs, your labor materials, so that it's as a percentage of revenue, you're maintaining that. You can't you can't manage it if you you can't measure it if you can't manage it. So I'm sorry, you can't manage it yet if you can't man, measure it. So the thing is, is to keep your financial information up to date. Yes. Don't wait till the end of the year. Bring it to your account. Then you have your now you're, you're 15, 16 months behind. So maintain that. The other one is, again, from a budget perspective, your operating expenses as a percentage of revenue. Just make sure you're not blowing your budget. Maintain it as a percentage of revenue. And then, you know, again, and then just do small things, small things, yeah. small things, right? The small steps are the ones that add up. You don't need to, to jump with it, the chasm in one in one big jump. And then just as we were talking about in um, in, in in the space between segment uh, two and three, we were talking a little bit about merchant fees and that, you know, two to three percent. And as you mentioned, if uh, if you're using Etsy or some online um, e-commerce platform, they have fees attached with every transaction. You had talked about how oftentimes we see that in operating expenses where that truly is a cost of goods. Exactly. And that can be, you know, that can be an extra two to three percent on your net profit in addition to um, increasing your price point. So um, thank you, Ron. I want to just mention, we haven't talked about the tool that you have so generously provided the founders in this episode. It is, it's your own kind of personal benchmarking tool out of all the decades of experience that you've had and, and where you see business owners landing. Um, and you've, you've put it together so brilliantly and you're willing to share that with us. Um, is there anything you want to say about that specifically? I know we've got opportunity to calculate the ratios. I know it's hard to talk to when we don't have it up on the screen, but I just wanted to give you the opportunity to weigh in on it. Well, simply it's, it's like I said, it's a simplified tool. It, it talks about, you know, those, what are the major ratios that we should be keeping an eye on on a monthly basis? We can calculate those. You just have to plug in the numbers on your either financial statement or your uh, balance sheet, and it will calculate everything for you. So what is your current ratio? What is your quick ratio? Those type of things. But on the second page or on that spreadsheet is I've also provided, you know, sort of the typical, you know, again, the 80-20 rule, 80% 80 of the businesses are within, or, you know, or are, are, are in that segment. So what I've provided you is those same ratios that we're calculating on the first page 
Now you can do a comparison to the worst and the average and the best insector performer. And I've given you, I'm not sure how many there are, there's probably 50 or 60 of them. And, and so you can, you can sort of look, you can take that first page, what are your results? Then you can plug in the information from the second page and for your sector, what is the worst, the average and the best. So where are you? Are, are you worst or are you average or are you best? So wherever you are, what are you going to do to improve? And there's a little bit of a line there. Say, what actions can I take in order to get a better result here? Yes. So it's just a simple tool, but I think it will be helpful. Thank you. It will be helpful. I know it will be helpful. And it, it's just, as you mentioned, small little baby steps, right? You don't need to fix everything overnight. You just start taking a coordinated and cohesive approach to fixing everything and you arrive there. Well, Ron, oh, thank you so much for, again, investing the time in Founders and all the work that you do. Um, I know I, I want to uh, I want to be respectful of your your time. Your uh, you are moving into uh, retirement uh, in the next little while. You've been so generous over the decades, helping founders to um, to make sure that they're profiting in business. And um, I'm excited to to say that uh, we'll be getting the opportunity to partner up together so we can take this financial intelligence that's in your brain and being able to put that together in the Nail the Numbers Academy. Academy, so people can take a coordinated and cohesive approach to one step at a time. How do we start to actually pull these pieces together so that we can uh, create that profitability in business? And as you mentioned, then all the ratios fix themselves. So I'm really excited to be working with you, Ron, on that initiative. Very excited, excited to get that up and running. That should be Q2 of 2021, where we can see some of the first courses start to, to trickle in for, for founders out there. So thank you, Ron, for all that you do, as always, and a huge shout out of appreciation uh, to our champs, Community Future Saskatchewan, for, for all that they do. Community Future offices really across the country, some of the first responders out there for founders um, in rural parts of Canada that, you know, through COVID, it's like, oh, what do we do? Um, and if I can just say, you know, I know there's a hashtag out there, like rebuilding better and stronger than before, Right. COVID did not cause the financial uh, fragility and vulnerability. It simply exposed it. So let's not go back to business as normal. Let's go back to business better, right? Let's do it. Ron, thank you. As always. All right. Thank you, everybody, for watching. We will see you in here for another episode of The Gab Lab. Uh, until then, stay safe, stay strong, and stay financially fierce. Bye for now, everyone.